Hello, and welcome to I'm a Fan of That, a podcast about all things fandom, told through objects, stories, and studies, with a bit of silliness thrown in along the way. Your hosts on this journey are Dr. Vivian Asimov, public anthropologist and pop culture academic, and me, pop culture writer and journalist, all-round enthusiast, Holly Swinyard. Join us as we deep dive into the wonderful and wacky world of fan culture, its history, the people who make it up, and the way we look at this ever-growing part of our society. Fair warning, we may well talk about some adult themes, use some adult language, and possibly get a bit nerdy about the whole thing. You have been warned. Hello, I'm Vivian Asimos. And I'm Holly Swinyard. And welcome to I'm a Fan of That, where we talk about the wonderfully complicated worlds of fandom through the objects we love. So today, this is another one that I don't have. Oh, um, we're in the honest, imaginary realm. I don't know if you can buy it, but I'm sure you could. I haven't looked into it. I should, because it would be rad. Maybe but, we need to make one. Well, I, I will leave that in your far more capable hands. <laughs> <laughs> but I want you to imagine a mask that only covers, like, your eye, your eye shape. Like, one of those, like, mm-hmm. classic superhero masks that are, like, only covering yeah. the eyes. Like Zorro. Under, it's all fringe. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That comes I think I know down what you're talking and about. covers your face. Yes. Um, this is the mask of Orville Peck. <laughs> okay. And I am obsessed with Orville Peck. Anyone that's been following me for at least a little bit will know I've been doing, I wrote a blog post about him. I have a video essay about him. I will not shut up about him. Uh, and he probably has me on some kind of watch list. <laughs> But I uh, I talked about him with a friend of mine, and uh, he hadn't listened to his music yet, but then was Im- immediately like, if he ever tours in the UK, we're going. Uh, just because Orville Peck also looks like he really puts on a good show. But anyway, I should I should explain a little bit about um, who, who we're talking about. So I know I have seen him mostly through, uh, like, the drag community. Like, I know that there are some of the drag queens who've been on, like, RuPaul's Drag Race who have done shows with him or are mm-hmm. friends with him in some way so I've kind of seen that a little bit but I, I, I also don't know very much about him I have been recommended some songs by you and also by my other half <laughs> to go and listen to um, but I haven't had a moment to get around to it because uh, I'm writing a book at the moment and therefore literally have no time to do anything ever uh, <laughs> I can't listen to music and write a book I'm not one of those people oh we are so different i have a i have a writing playlist and there's a couple of orville peck songs on there but sometimes i'll just put on one of his albums and just go through it as i write um but yeah so orville peck is is a singer if you couldn't get that gist (laughs) from the conversation uh he's south african born i think he's currently based in canada but you know with like famous people they probably jump around all over the place and he is an openly gay uh country singer and he also uh, kind of has his his form of country, I should specify, is it that like bro country that's really in right now. Yeah. It's really like actual old school. It reminds me a lot of like Ray Orbison and okay. Johnny Cash. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Old school, proper kind of, yeah. uh, like almost gritty, visceral kind yeah, of Yeah, he's got yeah. a beautiful voice and it really fits that style really well. Um I just yeah so he's like that that type Mm. of country because I know I'm a big fan of I love folk music in the UK in general uh, but I'm a big fan of bluegrass as well and I know there's a massive movement in bluegrass to kind of sort of reclaim its roots and like open up to more people Mm. and kind of be like oh lots of people think of bluegrass as like you talk about that sort of bro country that kind of as a very kind of white American thing and they're like well it kind of it's not it never it's very working class it's very you know it should be for everybody and I know that there's a movement there uh, as there is in British folk and Irish folk music, to be more inclusive. And so that kind of feels like this is on sort of the edge of that. But I know that American country, or general country music in general, is quite resistant to that sort of stuff. Yeah. America in general is more resistant yeah. to kind of stuff. I mean, I will bow to your knowledge on that one. <laughs> but no, uh, I... I... I'm, I picked up Orville Peck when I had already moved to the UK because he's relatively new. I think his first album, Pony, came out in like 2017 or 20... Mm-hmm. something like that. So I was already long in this country by then. Um, so I don't know as much about how the US, like, food, feet on the ground is picking him up. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I know that particularly the LGBT community have really grabbed onto him uh, for obvious reasons. He's openly gay. Uh, his first album, Pony, was all about being gay and the experiences of being gay. And when I was listening to Pony for the first time, there was that moment of I was going, this style of country that is all about honesty and it's typically really depressing music when you like really go back into yeah. it. I mean, like Dolly Parton is just like... Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, like, on. when... So my father, big fan of all of this sort of stuff, is kind of the reason, and so is my mum as well, it's kind of the reason why I'm into it. But I remember him once saying to me, you know, all folk music, whether you're talking country or like folk as a general umbrella yeah. term, is about sex, death, and drinking. Yes. Yeah. That's your choice. Maybe some taxes if you're in the kind of newer stuff. But, like, <laughs> that's your general general thing. And it will be horrendously depressing at some point. You'll be like, this is very jolly. Yeah. Oh, this song is about murdering people. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so just to give people an idea, I went to see three weeks after I'd had my, sur- my very large surgery, I went to go and see the Bellowhead Revival Tour because love nor money nor wild horses could keep me from that tour um and my other half is there like literally kind of trying to restrain me from dancing like come back come back your chest has been cut open come back uh you know (laughs) like so you know i i I love this sort of music this i i don't know why i haven't listened to him i'm kind of starting to be like this this feels like i should be getting on the the strange, you, you, quirky country music vibe. Yeah, you would definitely love him. I think some of my other friends, I have to kind of be like, he's country, but not that kind of country, like an actual good country, but you don't know that good country because you don't listen to it. So I have to like <laughs> explain that this good country exists. Look, um, if you throw a kazoo in there, it's going to be very exciting. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but yeah, so I, it was one of those things where the first time I heard him, I was like, it makes so much sense for the gay experience and the LGBT experience to match with this style of music and the experience of being closeted and how that feels and that depression and the coming out and how that changes the way that other people may or may not perceive you and the hurt that might happen when people suddenly change the way they feel about you when you come out um there's a song that he has on that first album where he talks about when he was still closeted and meeting other people that were closeted and that weird experience that you have where you kind of no without it being told and one of the lines is that june looks the same in your eyes which is obviously the pride month and it was just like that you know it's just so it's beautiful writing he has absolutely beautiful writing i feel like i'm gonna listen to this i'm gonna be a sobbing mess by the end of this definitely pony vivian (laughs) why would you do this to me definitely pony is one of those albums that it's just like if you want a good cry if you if you need that in your life at a certain point and i think it's much it hits you a lot differently if you are lgbt but like I do think there are some elements of it that even if you're not, you could probably connect to. But if you need a good cry, just put on Pony and just lay down <laughs> and let it wash over you because it's so good. Bronco, which is came out last year, so it was very new and I listened to it nonstop for most of the year. Um, and that one has a little bit more of an upbeat thing. And that one is also a little bit more about just depression more generally, rather than Mm -hmm. it being specifically tied to being gay. But obviously there is still that in there because it's hard. You can't separate that part of yourself when you're talking about your own experiences and your own feelings. And I think particularly in like country music in the same way as in like the blues or, you know, any of these kinds of very what are quite visceral kind of they come from a very specific place that is very much at the heart of it like mm. you're talking about like a lot of a lot of country and a lot of bluegrass when you go back to it is talking about you know uh basically working yourself to death because you don't have a choice about it and all this sort of stuff like when you're kind of looking into those things they're they're working songs they're they're miners songs they're you know the songs of sailors and all this sort of stuff they're people who are in a situation that can be utterly uplifting and you but also like the pits of despair could happen there as well and Mm. i think that is a very similar feeling to like being lgbt you can be like this is the best thing ever we're having the best time it's pride and we're all here and we're having a happy happy time and then there are other moments when you're like oh this is so difficult and i can't you know get my way through it and all that kind of way you know yeah it's i think there i think it, you're right it links those those feelings of where this type of music comes from and particularly since obviously a lot of it also comes from the black community mm. you're talking about 
people who are suffering in one way or another and trying to find either some joy or some relief in it. And it totally makes sense for a gay man to want to use that type of music as a way of describing his own experience. He's talked in interviews about how he always really loved the honesty that is associated with country music writing. Um, that all of country music writing, at least, again, that was kind of that type of country. It was always, like you were saying, it was from the soul. It was from the personal experience. It was from the personal pain. And there's something, when you're listening to that type of music, that really speaks to it. You know, there there is something that it doesn't feel manufactured in it because it, it there's something so authentic in the way that it comes across. And so again, when you are of a similar community and you're, you're listening to it, you can really just really connect to what it is that they're saying. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why I've always really liked Dolly Parton music. So he talks a lot about that authentic mm-hmm. stuff and, and things like that. And yet he wears a mask. Yeah, I was about to ask about that. So like, this is music that is deeply personal and authentic and relatable and all that kind of stuff but he is he's physically hiding himself the whole time like has he ever in interviews shown his face or is it entirely like there's this character of him i believe he has never there's rumors about who he is and it's pretty (laughs) much known who he is um because like the tattoos match up some of the stories that he's he doesn't like hide elements of himself in interviews like he's openly talked about like where he went to school or when he did something over here or lived in this area and people have been able to match it up with with what mm-hmm. they know of of somebody else um and so he i think he used to be in a punk band um before before being orville peck but i think there's something really beautifully paradoxical about what's happening that i think some people might think of as being antithetical to what he's saying and yet i personally think it almost reinstitutes what he's saying um i've talked a lot about orville peck's mask in other places so i'm not going to spend like a massive amount of time talking about it but there's this idea of mask performances and um so I've studied a lot of myth and myth performance and, and the way that myths are told in a variety of different ways. And obviously those kind of really traditional performances uh, mm. come into that. And often people would don masks for it. So like in ancient Greece, you put the mask on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Native Americans yeah. do it. You know, there's, I mean, pick a culture. They have a mask dance. Like <laughs> it's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Um, but basically there's been work on masks that talk about how uh a. David Napier, I think, is the one that primarily talked about it, that a mask is the thing that lays on the boundary between the self and the other. So you you are the self, and mm. then when you are becoming the other, you put on the mask, and the mask is that point um, where you transform or that you become the other. It, it becomes, the mask itself becomes a, a type of, of play, essentially, where you are balancing between this idea of yourself versus what the other is. You're the human versus divine, if you want to take it that more traditional way. Basically, when you are doing it, you kind of need to overcome this boundary in order to kind of meld the two worlds. Yeah. And what I see happening in Orville Peck is that the mask is in some way this kind of idea of the other that is typically put on to the LGBT community. Yeah. And by donning it, he's essentially taking a hold of that in a way and transforming it. And in a way of doing it that allows other people to also put on the mask. Yeah. Cause I was thinking what he, it kind of feels a bit like what he's doing is creating a, vessel a sort of a thing that anyone can project themselves onto like if anybody could put on that mask anyone would be this person you know it kind of feels a bit like he could as much as obviously it's his music and it's his story and all that kind of stuff he could pass that mask to another person and they could be Orville Peck and it's it's a it's almost like a a vessel of an, an, an item that is able for anybody listening to music the music to kind of see themselves in to put themselves in that position because it's not while it is his personal experience, it it kind of mutes the self a little bit. Like, you can't see this person's face. You literally can't. And so it could be your face. It's a bit like I've always really liked the uh, 
as much as parody, the book Masquerade by Terry Pratchett. Will Ollie talk about Terry Pratchett every single episode? Possibly. Um, where they there's two characters pretending to be the same person throughout the whole thing and you nobody can work out. Like, people kind of guess one or they guess the other, but they never guess that it's both because clearly it's one person wearing the mask. Like, mm-hmm. it could only be one person wearing the mask. And by the end, you're like, oh, so two people were pretending to be this one thing. And like it kind of feels like the mask is transferable, right? So you can move it across people and they both, however many people, become that one person. Like, isn't that the whole point of the mask of Zorro? That he passes the mask yeah. down to Antonio Banderas' character, Anthony Hopkins. Uh, <laughs> and then he's Zorro, you know, like... It's why I always find it a bit weird when people are like, no one could be Batman except Bruce Wayne. I'm like, except anybody who puts on the mask can be Batman. Like, that's the entire point. Yeah, but... it, it becomes something to kind of aim for, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one of... I mean, as much as it is in some way, I think, a costume gimmick, I think it is a lot more than a costume gimmick. And I think it's something that Orville Peck has probably thought about in that sense of the importance of putting that on and what that means for other people. I think there's there's a lot to be said for the fact that the mask... I like, lots of performers wear helmets or masks or stuff, right? Like, famously, Daft Punk wear helmets so you can't see their face, so that the music become... The characters and the music and the performance become what's important, not the people behind it. And I think it maybe is a an attempt i don't know if it's successful with every single artist but it's an attempt to make the music and the story of the music more its own thing we can everyone can talk about beyonce or taylor swift and all that sort of stuff and they're like oh who's this particularly with taylor swift and we will talk about this at some point but who's yes, this song will. about what's she referencing what's she talking all this kind of stuff because everybody knows everything about her life even if people kind of have guessed who orville peck is there is a there is a physical barrier of like well he's chosen to not be that person so people i don't know if people would do yeah, the same I think thing one of the things that i really like about the fans of orville peck is that as much as we kind of know who he most likely is that's not really that important like it's not chased up it's not talked about of like oh are you gonna finally admit you're this person um or an attempt at subterfuge on his part mm. in regards to it. It's just, there's this understanding that who he actually is when he takes off the mask isn't what matters. Yeah. And I think that's what's really cool about it. And yet, as we said, he's been talking about his his music is so deeply personal. Mm. In a similar way to Taylor Swift, and we'll talk about that when we get to Taylor Swift, that Taylor Swift has a country background and therefore yeah. takes on board a lot of that authentic personal experience writing but yet it is always so entirely entirely tied to taylor swift as a person which is interesting in and of itself yeah but what orville peck manages to do is to spin it to reflect on his whole community and his music becomes stories about the lgbt community rather than about orville peck because i'd wonder whether he considered that when he was doing it or whether it was a sort of happy coincidence that it has happened or whether it was very intentional to be like I want to be this vessel for the community or I want to give them more agency through my music you know I don't I would be really interested to know that because it, it if it is intentional then it's so well done mm. it's so well done and if it's not then it's still amazingly well done yeah. but <laughs> what a genius accident that happened you know like yeah. I I personally suspect it's a little bit of both. Mm. Um, I could imagine, especially if somebody used to be in a punk band, apparently a well-known one. I hadn't heard of it before, but I was reading the information about it to my partner and he was like, oh, I know that band. So, I mean... Okay. Um, So, if it was a a band that was fairly well-known and you want to not carry that with you into another very different endeavor that hiding your face is a really good way of doing that and having a different name and being able to completely disassociate from that. I mean, you think about people like Banksy or whatever, like that's entirely the reason why we don't know who Banksy is. I mean, I think, again, there's kind of, there's quite a lot of guessing about who he is and there may well be some more obvious ones than others. But like, that's entirely the point as well. Yes, now it's sort of, oh, it's a Banksy or whatever. We don't know anything about 
his background, whether he actually is a he, I mean, I'm certain, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, And so the art speaks for itself in a way that if you kind of know about the artist, it doesn't. Or I always find it really funny because my favourite thing at the moment is watching Star Wars fanboys, like, completely break down because Boba Fett isn't the the maskless faceless person that they wanted to project everything onto and now he's got a personality and they're not allowed to do that so much anymore like (laughs) it's really interesting to see like you took a character who was literally he had no face and was super easy to project whatever you wanted onto because he was just kind of silent in the background and really cool and did stuff like and then you take that away and that people really struggled with that because it was no longer a, a thing they could put their own wants and needs into as like a sort of like I say, a vessel, like, that's what it was. Um, and it kind of feels the same thing as when people don't, when characters or people or a, a character created by a person for them to play is almost faceless. They become what people who relate to them need. I've seen pictures, unfortunately, he hasn't toured in the UK before, so I haven't been able to go see him live. Um, and I'm not normally a big go to see people live person, but I would probably go to see Orville Peck live because it'd probably mm. be full of wonderful LGBT people that would <laughs> just have a good time. I've seen people go there wearing Orville Peck masks. I've seen people going wearing cowboy outfits, you know, to kind of embody this idea of who Orville Peck is in themselves, yeah. almost like they're cosplaying Orville Peck, but in their own way. Yeah. Because I've seen people who are fans of celebrities kind of track down items of clothing that they've worn and all this sort of stuff in the past. But like, this feels almost different because you're not just being like, I want to wear that thing that celebrity wore. Like, I think we've talked in the past about the whole Wagatha Christie thing and people were buying the clothes and stuff. Like, craziness. Or uh, as we talked about with Love Island, that people were getting the clothes. But this feels like people want to... It's not that they just want to have the thing and aspire to it. It's like they kind of... They feel uh, a connection and a camaraderie and a I could be you, you know, kind of, and not in a I want your life, I want all of this, but more like a, yeah. It's grabbing onto the spirit of it because I think the fact that he chooses to wear cowboy outfits, because that's the other part of it. Orville Peck is a whole thing. And if, if if you are listening and you don't know, this is the first time you're hearing of Orville Peck, Google image search him. Because, I mean, he's fabulous in his outfit choices. He's gotten, like, custom-made cowboy outfits from, like, Versace and stuff before. Like, mm. it's insane. But it's always, like, a tra- like very traditional cowboy, like, ranchy type of outfit. Um, typically wearing those kind of boots. Always has the mask on. So it's always this very um, painted photo of... of a cowboy yeah and I so it's think... almost masculinity to the extreme right the oh cowboy yeah is such a, a heavy masculine item like icon even and like take kind of taking claim of that as a gay man is a really really big thing to do oh when yeah think about like the the sheer backlash that there was against things like uh broke back, back broke back mountain mm-hmm. and you know all that kind of oh gay cowboys blah, blah, blah. you know people got so angry about it and that here is a gay man being like no i'm gonna claim this for me yeah. I'm going to do that. And I, I think one of the things that's really beautiful about what he's doing is that, I mean, there's a whole mythology around the cowboy that I can get into, but I'm not going to get too deep into because it would be a whole episode in and of itself. But his... <laughs> That's the next season. We'll <laughs> yeah. do a cowboy episode. But historically, right? Historically, yeah. cowboys were typically all sorts of different people. There were gay cowboys. Definitely. It's been recorded. It's been recorded historical fact that there were gay cowboys. It's been uh, recorded historical fact that there were black cowboys. And wasn't it the case that most cowboys were people of colour because white people didn't want their jobs? Exactly. It was it was hard work and it was white people were the ones typically that owned the land and owned the animals and black people would work the land. This is what it was. Yeah. There were also female cowboys, black women cowboys. Like so this idea that has been painted primarily by Hollywood that cowboys are this epitome of white maledom is incredibly just i mean it's its own kind of history of the way that americans change their narratives to fit considering that the 
the spaghetti westerns, which are predominantly to blame for this, were direct rip-offs of Japanese samurai mm. culture. <laughs> it's in and of itself such a spectacular thing to be like, so we're going to take something from an entirely different culture and make it our own in this way. And entirely kind of the people it's come from will get no get less than nothing from that you know it, there's a lot there's a lot to be said about that yeah but there's there was a lovely interview and i unfortunately i should, probably should have like quoted it or something somewhere i'll try to link it but there's an interview that somebody did with orville peck where he talked about the cowboy and he talked about how the cowboy is on the outskirts of society. They were people that were not necessarily brought into the fold. They were people on the outside looking in a lot of the times. And how that is how it feels to be gay Mm. is that you are on the outskirts and that he really talked about how the LGBT experience is the contemporary cowboy. And I think there's something really wonderful about that reclaiming it, but not just reclaiming it from that... Uh, fashion sense that he is definitely Mm. doing but also reclaiming what it means to be a cowboy and I think that's what's really beautiful as well because I've seen him compared a bit with people like Little Nas X for that kind of Mm. same thing of like the reclamation of um, queer male uh, experience and like what that looks like what that can be and all this sort of stuff like they seem to be kind of I wouldn't say similar because obviously they're doing very different things but they kind of have um, a way of approaching things that feels quite like they're, they're looking at oh Vivian's got excited I, you can't see it she got really I excited I just realised that like some kind of duet between the two of them I would die yeah no it would be amazing it would, it would be amazing why hasn't that happened you two need to do it do it now <laughs> I want it so bad that would be but amazing but yeah but like when when, when Montero dropped and like what that was oh yeah you know and that kind of i that unapologetic like reclamation of his own self in that moment was like so special i i mean to be fair in the same way we could talk about here swift forever we could probably talk about little nas x oh yeah um and all these i i'm really excited by the amount of like music music artists who are kind of coming out Mm. not coming out but you know are here at the moment in like the music scene who are just kind of being like I don't want to be this cookie cutter idea of what music is I'm going to talk about myself because I kind of feel like we I don't know again people will probably be like you're wrong there was so and so doing this in 2000s but it kind of felt like we kind of went through a kind of era of very generic music and that's sort of at an end now which is great and so there wasn't some good stuff but like not gonna lie, who expected Green Day to be the most controversial band of the early noughties? It, it wasn't me, <laughs> you know. Still a good album. Well, and there you go, because that's me. another... I mean, the lead singer of Green Day is bi, and was mm-hmm. openly bi at the time. He was, he was, it was amazing. was not common mm-hmm. to have. Yeah. And so, again, the history of LGBT people being the forefront of making other people mm. uncomfortable by their well, sheer exactly. presence. I also apologise because obviously my chemical romance exists as well. So yeah. yes, they're doing some amazing things. They've always done some really interesting things. But, it, you know, there was there hasn't been this, I feel like this ex- really interesting extreme type of music for a while. Um, yeah. And maybe, like I said, maybe that's just me. Maybe I've been living under a rock. But <laughs> it's hard not to notice it now. And that's a difference, you know? It's it's nice that people... We're at a point now where people feel more comfortable with coming out or with being famous while also yeah. having this other identity ma- factor, which... And that's a big change. It it's is. Change. I mean, Sam Smith coming out as non-binary is mm-hmm. massive. Um, One of my people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I don't know if that would have been possible for them, you know, 10... Hell, even five years ago. Yeah. It... I mean, even five years ago, like, people saying they were non-binary, that was, like, a thing where people were like, what the hell are you even talking about? Yeah. You know? Um, one of my favourite... Uh, artists is Grace Petrie she's a protest singer and I think it must have been four or five years ago now she brought out a piece of music a song called Black Tie which is essentially about finding the clothes that fit you finding the gender that makes sense to you and all that kind of stuff and when it came out I hadn't I'd been a fan of her for a long time but it just was like nobody's done this nobody's done this yet 
Mm. And it wasn't even like as... It's a great song, but I wouldn't say it was anywhere near as like flamboyant or over the top as some of the ones we've seen since. So like, it's very... It's cool that we're getting so many different types of music and so many different types of artist really opening up to this sort of thing. Like even I would say as much as, you know, even people like Harry Styles, like there's a definite kind of... I guess it's not as safe and comfortable as it could yeah. be, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I think people like Harry Styles, I think, in a, in a lot of ways really helps people who aren't like Harry Styles in the sense that mm. Harry Styles, as far as he has said, yeah, um, is a cis-hetero man. Yeah, and it's his choice to say whatever he wants. Like, yeah, he I mean, and, and, and it, he, he might later come out differently but at this moment in time yeah. this is what he has identified as so that is what exactly. I'm, I'm saying but the fact that a cis hetero man feels comfortable to occasionally wear a skirt or occasionally wear very flamboyant clothes and is still seen in wider society i mean i'm sure there are certain people that disagree but wider society still sees him as a, a sexually attractive cis hetero yeah. man yeah, exactly. You've got people like Oscar Isaac doing that as well. And, oh, yeah. you know, turning up at, like, movie premieres in, like, the most amazing outfits. And, again, he, as far as I know, is cis-hetero. You know, mm. I, I don't think... I have no knowledge of anything else. Um, and that's a really big thing, you know? Like, it, that kind yeah. of... It helps to already disrupt the gender yeah. conversation to allow more fluid identities to come out and say, actually... Gender and identity are such a spectrum that actually it's perfectly reasonable to have somebody who identifies entirely as cisgender or and heterosexual to want to explore gender presentation in a different way mm-hmm. and want to explore their own, how they feel comfortable looking. I mean, at some point I do want to talk about Finster, but like there, he is a perfect example. He is a guy, but <laughs> he chooses to present and look very, very feminine, very, very female. And that something for him is what he's wanting to do i mean it's a very interesting journey and i will talk about we will do something about him at some point because he's a really (laughs) interesting person um uh but it kind of goes to show that there isn't you know it doesn't have to be the most openly flamboyant queer people in community who are the only ones doing this it could be everybody exactly it helps to to demonstrate that that idea of toxic masculinity and and um misogyny and all this stuff impacts everybody it's not just Mm. impacting the oppressed people like i know that my partner for example is a cis hetero man and yet doesn't embody a lot of those things that are very typically cis hetero and he's Mm. had a lot of issues where and he has talked to me and i think it's very healthy for people to question their gender at some point in their life i have he has everyone has um and the fact that he was questioning it because he was like, well, but these people are saying this is what a man is and that's not what I am. So maybe I'm not a man. Yeah. And obviously he came out the other way being like, no, I'm, I'm still yeah. a man. I just don't fit these definitions. Um, I think it, it, it shows that, that those identities and those ideas can negatively impact. Yeah. And I've seen some amazing conversations from, cisgender men talking about how listening and interacting and and having conversations with trans men has helped them go oh i don't need to pass a manly test i don't need to have a man card or anything i just am a man because i say i am therefore all of these other things are because obviously for trans people that's like they have had they have these conversations they talk about this stuff and i think it's very healthy to be having those conversations like cis people and trans people should definitely talk to each other about oh, yeah. gender <laughs> absolutely categorically having all these conversations thinking about them and going oh well if i'm a man then it doesn't matter if i'm not x y or z i don't play rugby or i don't want to go down the pub and do all the stereotypical man things that like you know yeah i'd cut down some trees i don't know <laughs> <laughs> can i can i tell you the story of my friend alan yeah um who you have met but uh, he's also person. another not very quintessentially masculine dude. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was, he was meeting his uh, wife's family, who are all very, like, manly men, and they <laughs> like football and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so they were talking to Alad, and they found out that Alad doesn't like football. And they did not know what to do. And in fact, he was telling me that her sister found out he was he was sitting like nearby and he heard the sister uh, like one of them go oh ala doesn't like football and his sister go 
what does he do? (laughs) It's like, like you, what do you do or enjoy as a man that's not football? How can that be a thing? (laughs) Well, it's one of the things I actually quite like about video games is I feel like they gave people who weren't the manly, manly men another thing that could they could interact with. I mean, there are other problems with the yeah. masculinity, uh, toxic masculinity culture around around video games. But actually, at the at the time, being able to go, oh, well, you know, I don't like these particularly traditionally masculine things, but I do like this thing. And people be like, oh, okay. So it was almost like an out, you know? Um, and now that's become interesting because it, it well, grew yeah. into a problematic <laughs> thing but it's quite a there's a there's a deep dive there to be done i think about um and i'm sure somebody's done it because of course they have uh, about the kind of the way the like video game culture has grown because it was an uh an acceptable other manly pursuit that you could have but that yeah. wasn't wasn't football or sport or uh, all uh, chopping down trees apparently that's the only <laughs> ma- like traditionally masculine in inverted commas thing i do i, I do like that I, I talk about my husband as if he's not this kind of quintessential manly thing but um because it doesn't look that way and he's not interested in like football and stuff mm. but like he does woodworking and, oh, and <laughs> like all these other things but then we'll talk about how he's not quintessential and i'm like you just hung up you made a shelf and hung it up in our house for me like what are you talking about do you say that my mum does that though so well like, yeah it's not that manly no my mum is great she's it's like i don't think it's i don't think woodwork is a, a man no no i was skill. just saying it's just that, a skill yeah it's yeah. just the outside perception yeah. of um unfortunately we are sometimes very heteronormative in my i don't want to swing a hammer and him yeah. doing it but uh, <laughs> to be fair i sent a picture the other day where oh god it wasn't the other day it was in lockdown it was a very long time ago my perception of time is completely uh, doesn't destroyed matter by lockdown um, of me taking down some shelves and like uh, ready to do some DIY and I sent it to my partner like look I can do DIY I'm so manly <laughs> <laughs> like really tongue in cheek and they were just like yes well done you use the screwdriver yeah, like, I did use a screwdriver <laughs> I took a picture of him hanging up the shelves and I'm like see this is why I married somebody so that way <laughs> someone could do this and I showed it to my husband and he was just like I'm just screwing a thing into another thing it's really not that hard <laughs> I feel like we've gone completely off topic. Yes, sorry. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I I find really fascinating about Orville Peck and the mask as a more amorphous example of this is the power of LGBT communal storytelling. Yes. And I think despite the fact that Orville Peck is an individual person telling a story about his own personal narratives... And then that's just out in the world. There is a certain sense of communal narrative going on there that I find really fascinating. And I think like a lot of LGBT storytelling is communal. And I think that there's a lot of people out there who, when they read a story about LGBT people who doesn't quite match up to their experience because there is an expectation that you will kind of be able to link Mm. into it in some way. I think that's when people get a bit kind of confused they're like oh but this doesn't quite match up with me but like if you look at the way that the community talks to it like itself in and of itself there are like these little oh i don't want to say stereotypes but sort of they are of like each sort of letter is like oh well this is what these these are things that like do that you know like bi people can't sit on chairs properly yeah (laughs) it's such a weird stereotype but it's also not entirely not true you know asexuals also love cake so they do they do and i do love uh, cake <laughs> but they're, they're very they're little and they're harmless for the most part um and i think that that is a, a large part of the community and i think he's latch he's very cleverly from what you've said kind of linking into that idea of communal narrative that we all kind of have these little yeah. things of like I get that. I understand that. Because there is a shared experience to a greater or lesser extent. Oh, yeah. And it does I, exist. And I think that it it is that kind of way of... I I would love to do a study one day, and maybe I, maybe I will. Maybe I should. Of yeah. the, the structure of LGBT communal storytelling and the way... Because it reminds me a lot of... Um, so this is going to be a bit of a stretch, but it, it is similar. 
I used to do research with new religious movements um, mm-hmm. and back back in the day before I swapped to pop culture. And I was doing some research with Christian scientists uh, in Edinburgh and um, Christian science groups are like this kind of, it's a new religious movement that's kind of connected to Christianity. It's not Scientology. Everyone always thinks so for some reason. It's very different. Um, but they have two different services every week. They've got a Wednesday and a Sunday. And Sunday is a very, it, like if you showed up, you would just think it was any other Christian group the way yeah. that it, it is. But on Wednesdays, it's a lot more focused on Christian science teaching more specifically. And part of it is testimonials, which again is very similar to Quakers, where it's really quiet for a while. And if you feel it take you, you stand up and you talk about your experience and particularly of the week or if you experienced something. Um, and they, I was doing research on the structure of those testimonials and how even on if you showed up, they would all feel really different, but that the way that they were constructed and the way that they tied into each other was actually very much like the same setup of structure, where it was, um, this was my experience, my very personal experience that very much relates to the exact situation that I found myself in. Mm-hmm. Um, this is how it connects to the greater narrative of the community and then how that reassessed my position and how I came out the other side in a different position. Okay, so I can see the link between that kind of narrative that and the LGBT. I can see it. Yeah. yeah. So what and this is what I found not doing any kind of actual scientific study anymore. Um but just <laughs> just looking at the stories and and being in the stories often that you find yourself doing the same thing of going, well, this is my personal experience that might not be your personal experience, but this is my personal experience. But this connects to the wider ideas much more broadly of the letters and the way that we more broadly experience things. And then that comes back to the way that I've reassessed my position in relationship to the community. Um, I know personally, it took me a really long time to identify as LGBT, even when I found out that I was asexual, because I didn't feel like I connected to the community because I knew people who were trans. I knew people who were gay, who had struggled a lot more in society than I felt I had. Yeah. And so I felt like I didn't, have a claim over it because of it didn't have a struggle element um but i think that's a very poor way of understanding it and obviously i really wish that people wouldn't identify it purely through pain you know like there's other elements to it the lgbt community uh i mean there's issues within like trans community particularly talking about that you can only be trans if you suffer from almost very severe body dysphoria yeah and that's just entirely not true but like that's because some people like that's the only way they can identify their own experience and therefore Mm. everyone else's experience must be the same and i think that happens a lot with the community like i have seen the discourse about asexual people not being part of it and i'm like except of course they are don't be ridiculous we live in a world where sex (laughs) yeah yeah and also like we live in a world where sex is almost the be all and end all of like heart most of what people talk about you know yeah it's made jokes about it in adverts all the time so actually just because it's a different approach but it's not and it's a different way of thinking it's a different way of being but it's still as equally valid within the community and i say this to somebody on the asexual spectrum myself like Mm -hmm. i you know i am coming from that place um there is a validity to it that i think if you're a uh you're you know uh you're homosexual you're, you're gay you're lesbian or you're bi there is a kind it's a different experience it's very different um but they're equally as valid as each other um personally i'm very much like everybody get along let's have yeah. a nice time <laughs> big queer family you know <laughs> and there'd be people who'd be like don't use the word queer at me and i'm like oh my god okay everybody's experience is different let's have a let's try and be nice to each other um <laughs> Maybe that's, I'm just, I'm like that all the time though. You know what I'm like? I'm like, everybody, everybody get along, please. Yeah, which can't always happen. Uh, but it it is a really interesting thing to see somebody tell stories that can be connective tissue for everybody, whether mm. it's their story or not. And it is a very broad, a broad way of looking at things while being incredibly personal at the same time. So yeah. Like, I know there was a a particular song of Orville's on Pony 
that was about again this is going to be very specific to being gay which is about when you you are openly gay but the person you're with isn't so you have to hide the fact that you're in a relationship and how a lot of gay men feel used in a way because they can't be open while the other person is closeted and but at the same time you don't it's not your place to out someone if they're not ready to be out so the very complicated inner workings of that which i personally will won't understand because i haven't experienced it but yet i understood it from somebody who has heard those stories time and time again and i can understand someone hearing that and understanding what that feels like to them and again you get that cycle of storytelling of this is orville's story that he is in many ways doing that same structure and then somebody listening to it and understanding that's a part of that wider community story that I can then connect my personal experience to. And it becomes this web of stories that yeah. I think is really beautiful. Clearly, I am converted. I'm going to go and have to have a, go and listen and cry. Yes! I'll just be there like, why would you do this? Why? I'll be in a puddle outside in the dirt, like, ugh. My little, my little queer body, just not able to cope with that. It's it's so good, and um, I think Bronco. I find I I prefer to Pony in a lot of ways, but I don't know if that's because it's much more broadly about depression more generally, um, and that's something that I can connect to. Uh- <laughs> it's such a fun thing to talk about. <laughs> uh, but I also found uh, well, not- a lot of the music a lot more upbeat. Not all of them, because I also, I think my favorite songs of his are not the upbeat ones on Bronco, but I think it helps to not lull you into that constant state of dread. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I think I might need to wait until I finish writing my book, because I, while I was writing my second book, decided it would be really, really fun if I listened to Bo Burnham's um, Inside album on repeat for like two weeks. <laughs> And my headspace after that was was really not very good, uh, shockingly. So we might wait until I'm done, and uh, I'll 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 give myself some time to digest it. Yeah, don't don't listen to hyper depressing albums. While even at, like that album, that um, Bo Burnham album has some incredible bangers on it. But my goodness, yeah, maybe <laughs> in the uh, in the show notes I'll link to a song or two. Um, for yeah, people absolutely. who just want a sample to find out whether mm-hmm. or not they want to test out the water. Uh, and we'll probably link to some discussions of LGBT storytelling and uh, discussions of masks. Because yeah. I actually, the, the idea of masks, I would love to come back to at some point because I oh, do think I, so I, it's an incredible <laughs> storytelling structure. I, I've gone down rabbit holes with it, not only from like the myth telling perspective, uh, I dabbled with it when I was doing my work on Creepypasta. But working with cosplay, I mm-hmm. see a lot of similarities with discussions of masks. So oh, that yeah. will be a conversation for another day. Oh, but it will definitely come own, up again. Yeah, exactly. I have some friends who will literally only cosplay characters who have helmets or masks. And I find I'm like, that is so interesting to me because like I, I feel like the whole thing is a mask. But for them it's the literal yeah. interpretation. Um but yes, it's a fascinating conversation and we will talk about it uh, within like actual real life people and narrative structure of stories because uh yeah i i love talking about narrative structure this it's my job i should hope i like talking (laughs) like holly you're a writer you should really enjoy this yeah it's good yeah that and sentence structure i'm a nerd it's fine (laughs) oh this has been really fun i've enjoyed this it's very different to what we've done in the past it's great yeah i always like to talk about fandoms that i think when you say the word fandom a lot of people think of things like I mean, the stuff that we are fans of, like Tolkien yeah. and Ratchet yeah. and superheroes and video games, which yeah, we I mean, definitely talk about. because Nobody we... can see this, but I'm literally sat here wearing a Genshin Impact hoodie. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's got ears. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, it's so cute. But, you know, we're... Those things have a very different type. I think that all fandom has similarities and you yeah. can cross-reference and all this sort of stuff, but it's nice to look at it from very different angles. Yeah, I think, I mean, I've definitely seen a lot of the fandom of Orville Peck 
and it's definitely very close fandom and and uh it has a lot of those really beautiful elements that we've talked about in fandom of the the joy of creativity the joy of connection Mm -hmm. the joy of finding like-minded people people who live in societies and communities in in the u.s that do not have as many lgbt people they've been able to find others like them in this fandom um and i've seen people there was one uh reddit post on the orville peck subreddit that i really really loved where somebody was talking about how they have always wanted to wear a pink cowboy outfit and they were wondering if it would be safe to do so at an Orville Peck concert. And of course, everyone was like, yeah, man, do it. Um, but I just I that's something that I, I, I think is so wonderfully beautiful and really shows that fandom aspect of people. You know, Orville wasn't in that conversation. It was he was just the thing that happened to bring these people together or the but thing he kind of always is in it. the conversation right yeah like it's like he's him, always there he's, he's always there he's always important but in many ways is also unimportant but also vastly important it's mm-hmm. really weird but like <laughs> he's sort of the catalyst for it and like obviously he he will continue making music and do whatever and do what he wants to do and all that kind of stuff but he has created a space and an environment with he's sort of little big bang right that yeah. he's been able to create that by being there he is the catalyst for these community this community and these people uh, to find each other which is what all fandom is right you know that that something has to happen for people to want to come and grow their little garden of nerddom that's a terrible analogy but i don't care <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh. i think we should end here before we go off into strange fandom analogy land well thank you for letting me talk about orville peck for the umpteenth time in my life i loved it it was great i feel like i've I've met a new community and i'm gonna go and like i said not quite yet join us (laughs) give me a month and once i've handed in i'll be i'll be able to go and be depressing for a bit (laughs) thank you very much for listening guys uh we'll be back soon if our schedule works (laughs) if our uploading functions properly. Yay! Thank you for listening. Remember to like, review, and subscribe wherever you are listening to this podcast and do give it a share. Tell your friends, family, fellow fans, get the word out however you feel like you can. You can follow us on social media. Links are in the show notes, as well as some links to further reading for anyone who might be interested. Music for this episode was Nowhere Land by Kevin MacLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. This episode was produced by Vivian Asimos and Holly Swinyard. Oh no, what have I done? I need to pull up the fucking intro script because I'm stupid and now I don't remember how it goes. Alright. One sec, I just spilled tea all over my desk. Um, <laughs> <laughs>